Jeremiah 32 at 26, this is the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will take it. Chaldeans who are fighting against this city will enter and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses where people have offered incense to Baal on their roofs and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger by, their, by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. Indeed, this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my wrath from the day that they built it, even to this day, so that it should be removed from before my face because of all the evil of the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their leaders, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned their back to me and not their face. Though I taught them teaching again and again, they would not listen and receive instruction. But they put their detestable things in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. They built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. I think it was January 21st, which is today, 1973, when Roe v. Wade was, uh, became the law of the United States of America. And so this day, you know, the, the Sunday closest to January 21st has become known as Sanctity of Life Sunday. You've probably heard that. And so um, I, I don't preach on the scourge, the wickedness, the abomination of abortion uh, every year on this day, but today I am brushing off an old sermon, bringing it back, amplifying it, and uh, because we need to keep this in front of us. We really do need to keep in front of us the blood that is flowing through our streets. We have filled this nation with the blood of pre-born babies. And so we must keep this in front of us. And we just read here in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prophesying to Judah, Right, the nation of Judah, the people of God, and and God is sick and tired of them. Did you did you pick that up? God is done with them. God wants nothing to do with them. He he says, as long as Jerusalem has has stood, 
it, it's, it's just been an annoyance to him, a provocation of both his anger and his wrath, if there's a distinction. Right? That Jerusalem, since it was founded, has been a provocation to his anger. And why? Because they've, they've, they've introduced all kinds of false gods that they worship. They've placed Baal. They've worshipped the sun and the stars, right? They've, they've uh, in the place called by God's name, they've put other gods and idols. And then they take their little ones and drag them down the hill and slaughter them as, as an homage to As an homage to Molech, put the, just burn them up as an offering to a false god, a god who is no god, a god who, who whom God hates. And now think of this. Think of this. They did all of this, and what's coming? They're going to be destroyed. Right? The Chaldeans are going to come along and just by hooks in their noses drag them out of Jerusalem. God did that. God was tired of that people sacrificing their children. To false gods. God did that to the nation of Judah because they had sacrificed their children to Moloch. God dragged them off the land and he scattered them among the nations. Right? We, as a nation, kill our children by the millions. Does God look favorably on this? Does God not care because we are not Israel? We're not Judah. We're not the Holy Land. Though people might tell you we are. That's wrong. Does God not see what we do? Hasn't history taught us that God judges nations? Right? It's, it's very clear. You, you read through the prophets and God is judging nations. God takes a nation and it judges Israel and then God uses Israel to judge that nation right back. Right? And hasn't history taught us that God judges nations? The Germans who denied personhood to a class of people, the Jews, was beaten back. Blown to smithereens, as they should have been. America was laid waste by civil war when she denied personhood to blacks. And 620,000 men lost their lives. So what will become of us today? That's the question. What, what, 
What will become of us today if we continue to kill the hundreds of millions? And what are we to do as a church, right? What is the church? What are faithful Christians to do in a society that has taken away the right to life of babies in order to protect a manufactured right of privacy that protects women from committing murder? We thought things would change for the better after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, didn't we? I mean, we were all like, praise God, Roe versus Wade, we've been working for this forever, and it's finally down, and it hasn't changed a single thing. If, if it's done anything, it's made things worse. Strangely enough. We thought the conservatives and the Christians in our government would breeze through legislation that protected life, and it has not happened, right? It hasn't happened at all. And that is because Roe was merely removed, and the issue was given to each state to figure out. There is nothing in that removal of Roe that said, babies in the womb have a right to life. There was no positive statement of the right. It was just... States figure it out. So there was no positive direction that, that life, life should be protected because life, the life of man is created in the image of God. Again, we thought conservative states would do this, but they have not. They have the freedom to protect life in the womb, applying the Constitution's right to life to preborn persons. And, you know, conservative politicians have fumbled and tripped all over themselves, and they have failed on this, especially in the state of South Carolina. What a, what a mess. They have failed, politicians have failed, but stop and think. The fact of the matter is this, Americans still want to kill their babies. The majority of Americans still want to kill babies in the womb. They want to take them and, and inject their hearts with solutions so that they die. They want to rip them apart in the womb. They want to suck them out with, with pressure. They want to administer drugs that will will cause them to stop living. Americans want to continue to do that. That's what we as a people want. We are like slaveholders who don't want to end the slave trade. We are like Nazis who don't want to end Jewish genocide. We are like Stalinists who don't want to end the starvation of Ukraine. We, we're like pornographers who don't want to end sex trafficking, right? We don't want to be unable to kill babies in the womb. We are sick. We 
What is the church to do in the face of a people and her government that is committed to calling the dismembering of an enwombed baby a positive good, a right, a responsible choice, health care, an honorable act? What are we to do? Well, we know from Jeremiah that there are sins that are committed by nations for which God heaps up his judgment and his judgment just waits to break out against them in fullness. There are sins that provoke God in a special way. Will the nation Israel be an example to us? The nation of Judah, will it be an example to us? They thought it would be acceptable to God that they worship Him through the sacrifice of their sons and daughters to Molech. They were a nation of people who had fish, you know, like fish symbols on their car who killed their children at abortuaries. God's people taking their children to the fires of Molech. But God's patience did not last forever, and Israel and Judah were dragged off the land by pagan conquering forces over the course of several hundred years. Will this be an example to us? Does God see today? Do you wonder how long God's judgment, God's patience, will last. And do you wonder how long God's judgment will wait to break out in its fullness against a world, not just our nation, but a world that has killed two billion image bearers in the last century and this century? Two billion killed. I would not be surprised to see the sun crash into the earth. I would not be surprised to find out that global warming is God just squeezing the life out of this whole planet. But I'm not convinced about global warming. I would not be surprised to see foreign occupation of the United States for their sins in this area, this area alone. But the fact of the matter is, is any nation that would occupy us and kick us off this land would be committing the same sin, right? China has killed its Hundreds of millions, right? Europe has killed its hundreds of millions. Everywhere we look, there have been hundreds of millions killed everywhere. And whether or not people acknowledge God in heaven and whether or not they have a category in their collective conscience called sin, nations do heap up judgment for themselves when they sin in particularly terrible ways. How do we know that the sin of killing children is an unparalleled evil? It's in the passage we just read, right? Because of what God says about Israel's imitation of the godless practice of sacrificing their own children to a false god named Baal, which we just read about. And then look at verse 35. God says that it had not occurred to him. What does that mean? It had not occurred to him. It had not entered his mind that they would give themselves to something so damnable and heartless. 
passing their children through the fires to, to Moloch. It hadn't occurred to God that, and, and what had God seen since, since he created man? He saw man's violence, and that hadn't even occurred to him. He had witnessed violence. He had brought the flood that killed every man on this planet because of sin. And yet, he, we get to this, and, and there's something that, that he hadn't even thought of. And I'm not going to try to fit that into divine omniscience. Killing children hadn't occurred to God that his people would engage in that. But again, what, are, what is the church to do? What are you and I supposed to do? What are Christians supposed to do? Now, it helps to know history. It helps to look at parallel situations and see how the church reacted in those situations to serious ethical questions, right? There are two periods in modern world history that are analogous to abortion today, and that and these come to my mind. The first is the denial of, of blacks, the status of persons in this nation, right? Designation was made in, the, in this country through Dred Scott versus Sanford. 1857, right? Whole class of people. In, in, this, in, in that decision, it was the class of people who have black skin, was denied personhood and therefore became de facto property. Here's what the court stated. We think that black people are not included and were not intended to be included under the word citizens in the Constitution and can therefore claim none of the rights and privileges which that instrument provides for and secures to citizens of the United States. On the contrary, they were at the time of America's founding considered as a subordinate and inferior class of beings who had been subjugated by the dominant race, and whether emancipated or not, yet remained subject to their authority and had no rights or privileges but such as those who held the power and the government might choose to grant them. That is terribly wicked. That is terribly wrong. Denying the, their personhood and the application of those inalienable rights granted by our Creator the first of which was life. Life. Now that was righted by legislation within a decade. But only after the deaths of a generation of young men, 620,000. What did the church do in that time? Well, she split. The church split. The church split between those who would support that and those who would not support that. And those who supported slavery and those who did not. They just split. So let's have a... And that's where we exist now as a church when it comes to abortion, isn't it? We got pro-abortion churches. We got pro-life churches. The second example in history is the denial of people of Jewish ancestry, the status of persons by the Aryans of Germany in the early part of the 20th century. That regime, in a more gradual way than the swift designation of the Rose Supreme Court, denied personhood to a whole class of people and therefore starved and tortured and gassed them to death by the millions. 
not being persons. They could just be thrown away, thrown away like trash. And what did the church do at that time? What did the Protestant, Lutheran, Bible-believing German churches do during that time? Well, part of the church did this. They just affirmed the Nazi regime. You're doing good, you know, let's get rid of these filthy Jews. They said that the Nazi regime was leading the country into righteousness by their opposition to communism and godlessness. They went along with the Nazi regime, uh, racial laws. They supported the Fuhrer. They were all for the church and the state walking in lockstep on this. Together they promoted their moral vision for society of this church, which came to be known as the Deutsche Christian. Um, Bonhoeffer says this, they wanted a strong, unified Reich church and a Christianity that was strong and masculine that would stand up to and defeat the godless and degenerate forces of Bolshevism. They referred to their brand of Christianity as positive Christianity. Strong, masculine, violent, Jew-killing Christianity. Part of the church did this. Mainstream Protestant leaders were willing to justify the Arianism of the government, reasoning that Jews who were baptized Christians, Jews who were baptized Christians could form their own church. Jews who were Christians, who had become Christians, could form their own church and had no particular business expecting to be a part of a distinctly German church. Oh, brother. Separate, but not equal. They were the compromisers, looking for a way to keep peace. These were the pragmatic ones. So they settled on separate, but equal, but I'd say separate, but unequal. Perhaps that's analogous to the division that took place in the American church over slavery. Part of the church did this. They stood opposed to the government even while they affirmed that the government had legitimate authority. They said, you're doing wrong. We acknowledge you're an authority, but you're doing wrong, right? This was the movement in which Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a leader. And Bonhoeffer thought much about the question that I asked earlier, what is the church to do in a situation like this? What, what do we do? What do we do when the government is calling good evil and evil good? Well, Bonhoeffer said this, the church must continually ask the state whether its actions can be justified as legitimate action of the state, i.e., as action which leads to law and order and not to lawlessness and disorder. In other words, the church must hold the state accountable, calling out her failings, calling them to righteousness, calling them to repentance, calling them to, to wield their rightful God-given authority, the sword, well. It is the church and her leaders who more, whose moral vision derived from the Word of God who are in the position, the best position, to hold the state accountable. But they must not long to be the state. They bring the word of God to the situation. But they must not, the church must not be willing to take up the sword. Even while, even while they affirmed that the state 
had God-given power, they were willing to speak to that power as another minister of God, the church. In other words, Christians are not anarchists. We believe in legitimate and godly authority. And just as the prophets called the leaders of Israel to repent, and John the Baptist called Herod to repent, right, for his incestuous relationship, so we believe the church must speak to the state about her actions. Right? But what the church is never to do is to take up the sword, which belongs exclusively to the state. We are never, as the church, to take up the sword. Calvin says this about the work of the church when this, the state's decrees are unjust. So Calvin, at the end of the Institutes, is thinking about this. I mean, think of the political chaos during the time of the Reformation. Right? Everything's changing. Everything's turning over. And so all the reformers are like, hmm, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, what do we do when, when I live this place, I can practice my religion, I live in this, and I'm forced to be a Roman Catholic, right? So what do we do? What do we say to the state? So Calvin agonizes over this, and then he's specifically talking about what is the work of the church when the state's decrees are unjust, like you can kill your babies. He writes in the Institutes, if anything in a public ordinance requires amendment, let the church not raise a tumult or do the work themselves. In other words, take matters into your own hands. Just, just take up the power of the sword. All of them ought to keep their hands bound in that respect, but let them commit the matter to the judgment of the magistrate whose hand alone is free. I mean, let them not venture anything without a command. And so he's like, you have to appeal to the magistrate. You have to appeal to the government. And all of us are kind of like, boy, that's really disappointing because that's not what we don't want to do. We'd rather, we'd rather build up an armory and, and shoot an F-16 with with a shotgun. In other words, when there are unjust decrees, we are called to remedy them by lawful means. A Christian mustn't become an anarchist or revolutionary just because there's injustice in the world. There is and will always be injustice in this world until Christ returns, right? There will always be injustice short of the new heavens and earth. We must be careful not to undo what we believe by taking matters into our own hands. And we believe in authority. We believe in authority. And so don't by your actions undermine your belief in authority by denouncing all authorities or rejecting the legitimate claims of authorities. Then Calvin says some rulers are really, really, really bad. They're really, really, really bad. And he says this, they ex exercise sheer robbery, plunder houses, rape virgins and matrons, and slaughter the innocent. And then what does he write in that case? What do you think he writes in that case? Well, here's what he says. Because of the wickedness of our rulers, many cannot be persuaded that they ought to recognize these as princes and to obey their authority as far as possible. In other words, if you have a terrible ruler, he's still your ruler For in such great disgrace and among such crimes, so alien to the office, not only of a magistrate, but also of a man, they discern no appearance of the image of God, 
which ought to have shown in the magistrate. While they see no trace of that good minister of God who has been appointed to praise the good and to punish the evil, thus they also do not recognize as ruler him whose dignity and authority Scripture commends to us. Indeed, this inborn feeling has always been in the minds of men to hate and curse tyrants as much as to love and venerate lawful kings. And then he goes on, if that's not clear enough, he says, In a very wicked man, utterly unworthy of all honor, provided he has the public power in his hand, that noble and divine power resides which the Lord has by his word given to the minister of his justice and judgment. Accordingly, he should be held in the same reverence and esteem by his subjects insofar as public obedience is concerned in which they would hold the best of kings if he were given to them. In other words, yes, there is incredible injustice in our land. Yes, we have elected rulers that we've chosen ourselves who have no grid for for evil and good, but the Christian duty is to honor authority even while availing ourselves of all lawful means to speak and correct that authority. So do you get what I'm saying? You can't be revolutionaries, brothers and sisters. But you can't be silent. You can't be silent about this. If you care about where your grandchildren are going to live and worship. The Christian duty is to honor authority even while availing ourselves of all lawful means to speak and to correct that authority. That is why freedom of speech is one of the, if not the most critical, critical uh, matters for us right now. We as private citizens and church members desire to announce God's righteousness by opening our mouths outside of abortion clinics in the halls of our state legislatures and supreme courts, and we do so even while we yield to and honor that authority over us. This is the paradox it is to be a Christian, isn't it? We, have, we are those who have one king, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is not of this world, but simultaneously as those who have many kings whose kingdoms are of this world. And so we obey Jesus Christ above all else, but we also obey those earthly kings because our one king told us to do that. <laughs> All right. I only have about another 40 minutes. In a recent biography of Bonhoeffer, the author draws attention to three ways in which the church can act toward the state. He borrowed these from Bonhoeffer. Um, One, the church can question the actions of the state and the legitimacy of the state and then help the state to be the state as God has ordained. That's you writing to your state representatives and saying, this is wicked if you pass this. If you vote for this, it is establishing unrighteousness. And God will hold you accountable for this vote. It's communicating with your state reps. How many this year have communicated with your state representatives or senators? I saw one hand. One hand. 
Two, this is the second thing we could do. He said that, this is what Bonhoeffer says, he said that the church can aid the victims of state action. In this case, he was talking about aiding those who were being oppressed, even if they weren't Christians. In In his case, of course, he was talking about the Jews. He quotes Galatians, do good to all men. In our day, this would be offering to adopt babies who are about to be slaughtered, right? You're aiding the victims. You're trying to to intercede with those who are being oppressed. Three, he said, the church must not just bandage the victims under the wheel, but put a spoke in the wheel itself. And now, is he being revolutionary? Well, Metaxas goes on, that's the author of this biography, goes on to state that that final stage, according to Bonhoeffer, is only allowable when the existence of the church is threatened. And therefore, when the state ceases to be the state is defined by God. Why is that legitimate? Because the gospel must be preached for the salvation of souls, whether Jew or Greek. The church must fulfill her calling to preach the gospel to every man everywhere, calling them to repent. And so there's a time at which, yeah, you try to put a spoke in the wheel, but that's only when the existence of the church is about to be snuffed out. We're not there. It's not where we are. That's not where we are. We could go to the Magdeburg Confession. The Magdeburg Confession was written by a bunch of Lutheran pastors who the, 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 the armies were surrounding their city and they're like, we don't want to do what you're telling us to do. But if you accommodate us, we'll be the best citizens possible in your state. We'll be so submissive, just you can't, you can't, we're not going to do what you, you're telling us to do. But, but work with us, and we'll be the, your best citizens, right? So is the existence of the church threatened today in our nation by abortion? No. Are there signs that it could come? Yep. Of course, in the meantime, it's important for us to call the state to be the state to remind our society of God's vengeance that is assuredly coming. We, our children, our grandchildren may learn what is what it's what life is like in in that last stage when the, the existence of the church is being threatened. Confessing Christ, preaching his name, living according to his word may be forbidden in the name of freedom. And then we will be called to suffer greatly as strangers and exiles in this world. And we will know what it is like to be the scum of the world. And we will have to rise up and make sure there is a church to preach the gospel in this nation. We'll have to reinstitute the conventicles and go out and preach in the woods. And I guarantee there is one way to ensure such a conclusion for our little ones. Right, that they live in a time when the existence of the church is threatened by people wanting to keep abortion legal. It's this: just don't say anything. Be silent. Don't don't confront. Don't speak. Coast. Bring no accountability. Tell your pastor to stop preaching about political matters, as if they're not ethical and moral. Silence the prophetic voice of the church. Don't call abortion murder. Don't call the baby 
a baby, call it a fetus, product of conception. Don't intercede for the oppressed. If we don't give ourselves to stages one and two that I described, then we can expect three will be here. So, dear brothers and sisters, let me, let me try to stir you up to love and good deeds. What are we as a church to do about this wickedness in the land? One, first is patiently endure. Patiently endure this. Patiently. Jesus will come again and he will set everything straight. Okay? No need for you to to make the attempt yourself. Jesus will comprehensively make everything straight. You will make a mess of it if you try. But endure this patiently. Two, repent. This is very important, brothers and sisters, and I'm just going to lay it out here because I'm your friend. Repent of your own sexual sins. This is Gideon tearing down his father's altar before he battles the Midianites. This is following our Savior's direction to pull the plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck from somebody else's eye. This is to root out leaven and letting judgment begin with the household of God. One's own house must be put in order before directing others how to order their home. Right? So, adultery... Feminism, effeminacy, pornography, all must be repented of before we call others to righteousness. And not to put too fine a point on it, hear me, do not kill your own children. Now, do you think I need to say that? Because I think most of you probably think I don't need to say that. We're... You know, we're on board. We're with you. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there, there could temptations come along that, that would have one of you at an abortion clinic killing your child. Don't do it. Don't kill your children. Don't kill your children through chemical means. Right? I'm talking about the IUDs that they implant into your Stomach and the, and, the, and the pill. That can lead to you killing your children. Can we repent of this? Can we repent of killing our children? We must not kill our own children. Christians get abortions. Christians use abortifacient birth control. Don't do either of those things because it is a violation of God's command not to murder. And to put, you know, and look, talk to me about contraception if you want to. Talk to me about it. There are times when I think contraception is allowable. But abortifacient birth control, never do you get the difference. You want to stop conception. You don't want to abort an already conceived child by giving it a hostile environment that it can't implant in. There's a difference here. Okay, but, but to put all of this positively because, you know, we can't take too much negativity. Be fruitful and multiply. 
That's, we, remember we, just two weeks ago we went over the creation ordinances that are still in effect for all of mankind and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill. We haven't filled the earth. We don't know what kind of riches might come out of us filling the earth. Contrary to everything you've ever heard or ever been taught. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That creation ordinance of God is still the standing command for each of you. Third, know Scripture. In knowing Scripture, you'll begin to view the sins of our culture with a godly mind. The utter sinfulness of sin will return to you. As our minds are conformed to Christ, we begin to understand the anger of the Lord against the unrighteous. We begin to see ourselves and how we're involved in the sins of our culture. Right? We need to know Scripture so that we reflect upon ourselves and do the work of self-examination. Fourth, love your neighbor. What characterizes those who advocate for abortion is their heartlessness toward the weak and voiceless. There is no opposition There's no oppression equal. There is no oppression in the history of the world equal to killing babies in the womb. All other oppression that has occurred has at least those being oppressed had voice. This is just like, get them before they can do anything. Snuff them out before they can say anything. It's the most, most awful oppression. And so we must counter the heartlessness by our largeness of heart, our, 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 the depth of our true compassion. These children being led to the slaughter must be remembered. Your neighbor tomorrow is going to be oppressed and killed. Were you silent? Were you loveless? Scripture doesn't allow this, exhorts us. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does God not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to men according to his work? And in James, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Five, speak boldly and respectfully. Enjoy freedom to live as a Christian and make the most of the days because they are evil. Go to those who have God-given authority over us to make laws and remind them or teach them what is right. Why are you wasting your freedom? Why are you silent? Contact government officials constantly with respect. Do not yell. Do not threaten. Do not sin with your mouth or with your keyboard, right? Honor authority as you call that authority to repent. You have to go to those with authority and speak. Pay attention to what they are debating, especially anytime legislation is going through our state houses on abortion. Pay attention to it. And then write and call those whom God has raised up to establish justice. And then six, pray. Pray, 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 pray without ceasing. Plead with God. Stop believing that prayer is passive, right? God says, 
God says at the beginning of Isaiah, I've had enough of your burnt offerings. I've had enough of your worship services, your, your missions programs. I've had enough of all these things that you think are great. I've had enough. And then they're called to this. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And then later, we're taught in the book of Isaiah that we should not give God rest in our prayers. We should plead with Him and not let Him rest. So give God no rest in your prayers. Do you long to see other tongues confess Christ? Do you long to see the church established? Do you long to live in a righteous state which praises what is right and punishes what is evil? Do you long to see revival? Do you long to... Have peace so that the name of Jesus Christ may be named among us openly. We'll pray. Give God no rest until he establishes and makes the church in this nation a praise on the earth. Patiently endure. Repent of your sexual sins. Know God's word. Love your neighbor. Speak boldly. Pray. Pray for the nation and those who rule over us. Do not Yourself, participate in the evil deeds of darkness. Examine yourself and repent. God is gracious. Communicate continually about this, especially with our state representatives, because that's where the battle is right now in this. Or things will get much worse. Okay? My heart is not heavy enough when it comes to these when it comes to this cuz i'm kind of heartless 100 million babies slaughtered and it, it's you just don't it's in, it's almost inconceivable it's almost too large a number right so maybe maybe the 2200 that are killed just in greenville maybe that helps every year 2200 they make a million bucks just off of the abortions. 2,200. But, but before that concern, before what those who don't name the name of Christ do, I am concerned about us and what we do with our wombs and our breasts and contraceptives and fruitfulness. We must repent of these things and trust, trust that children are a glorious heritage and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 127. Awesome psalm, right? Be pro-child, right? Be pro-child. Children are great. The church is going to need... a. Heavy population of Christians in the future to continue the witness, you know? So make babies. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's difficult to know what to pray whether we lead with our repentance or whether we lead with our pleading or whether we lead with denouncing the, and calling for the breaking of the jaws of the wicked. 
And so, Father, I guess we pray for all of that. Pray that we would repent of our, the, of our own murders. I pray that we would repent of our silence and that we would begin to speak respectfully to those who have authority to change things in this area. Father, I pray, I pray that you would continue to patiently have mercy upon this nation. For the sake of our children and their ability to worship you, we do pray that you would have mercy and that you would stay your judgment. But Father, it is so hard to pray that because I know that you are angry when your image bearers are treated like trash. But we ask for it through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. We ask for revival to change the heart of this nation and this people, the nations of the world. Pray that your church, your church which is above the nations, which is, is people from every tongue, tribe, and nation would, would call the nations to cease snuffing out the life of your image bearers. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.